My subject this morning is making sinners out of saints. Let us refresh our minds with a very familiar text that pinpoints with divine accuracy God's one and only remnant church that will exist in the end time in which we are now living. You know this text. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Before I begin this alarming presentation, please permit me to state my personal belief concerning those who compose God's remnant church. There is no doubt in my mind that there are two distinct groups found within the Seventh-day Adventist church today. One group are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, that is, they are keeping the law by God's grace. They believe, they teach, they follow the counsel of the spirit of prophecy. But there is another group, those who profess only, but who do not follow or obey the path of these two distinguishing marks of divine truth. Now some this morning will consider this sermon to be criticizing my church. But there is a big difference between criticizing and pointing out error. God has commissioned his true ministers to defend the truth and also to point out errors when they are to be discovered. And it grieves my heart to express leadership within my church who are teaching error in these days. But when false doctrines are being taught, which are making sinners out of saints within the remnant church, I cannot keep silent. Amen. Now, as we study this growing conspiracy, conspiracy, we discover that it is dividing our church into these two groups. It is interesting to note that God in his mercy warned his faithful few of how this would come about. One of the last statements to come from inspiration came in the year 1915 on February 24 written in manuscript number one. I am charged. Notice those words, I am charged, to tell our people that do not realize that the devil has device after device, and he carries them out in ways that they do not expect. Satan's agencies will invent ways to make sinners out of saints. And that's where I got my subject title. I tell you now 
that when I am laid to rest, great changes will take place. I do not know when I shall be taken, and I desire to warn all against the device of the devil. I want the people to know that I warned them fully before my death. And God has also warned his church in the Holy Word about such a conspiracy. In Jeremiah 11, verse 9, And the Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And any Bible student knows that God's people are called Jerusalem. In Ezekiel 22:25, there is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof. And today's church leadership is following in the steps of old Israel. Today, they are attempting to make sinners out of saints. You know, sometimes it's good for us to look at our church through the eyes of Babylon. We don't often do that. But I want to read to you from a man by the name of Barnhouse, who wrote in Eternity Magazine, that's the leading evangelical magazine, and he wrote these words in the September, October, and November issue of 1956. And here he tells you of a change that he sees within God's church. I quote, It was perceived that Adventists were strenuously denying certain doctrinal positions which had been previously attributed to them. The positions of the Adventists seems to be a new position. He continues, Adventism in 1956 is a far cry from the Adventism of the past. Positions of Adventism have either been revised or reversed. Now here is a man in Babylon looking at God's true church, and this is what he sees. And notice, I am quoting now, Seventh-day Adventist leaders repudiated. Notice that word. They have repudiated that Seventh-day Sabbath keeping is a basis of salvation in any way a means of salvation. In other words, he says they're no longer teaching that you have to keep the Sabbath to be saved. That's a serious indictment. Again I read, the truth that we must overcome sin by uniting with divinity and then perfectly keeping God's law in order to be saved was changed to salvation, which they, that's the church, and we, the evangelicals, confess to be by Christ alone. So he says, no longer is a Seventh-day Adventist church teaching that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly keep the law, that we might be saved. Again, that's a serious indictment. In other words, 
What he is trying to put in words is that we are now teaching the same as any other church of Babylon. He is saying that all we have to do is just believe. Again I read, salvation is by grace alone through the blood of Jesus Christ apart from any work of the law. In other words, the law has nothing to do with your salvation. These are the things that Babylon discerns within the leadership of our church. Again, I quote, The truth that Christ's atoning work was not accomplished on Calvary, but since 1844, he has been carrying on a second ministering work in the typical day of atonement, was totally repudiated. In other words, leadership in the church says we no longer believe in the sanctuary work of Christ in heaven. We don't have up there one whom we can go to as our high priest and plead with him and he can forgive us and he can cleanse us and he can seal us. Again I read, the writings of Ellen G. White are not on a parity with the scriptures. Seventh-day Adventists do not consider Ellen G. White to be in the category of the writers of the canon of the scripture. Here they see that the church is beginning to move away from the spirit of prophecy. And then I find this. The true teaching that Christ took man's fallen sinful nature upon him and overcame sin with the nature with that nature was disavowed again and again by responsible leaders of the church and was repudiated with horror. Do you grasp the sound of those words? We are saying here that the church now believes that Jesus Christ did not come and take on sinful flesh as we have but that Jesus Christ only came in the nature, the sinless nature of Adam, and that we repudiated it with horror. Unbelievable! Because I do not read such things in the Bible nor in the spirit of prophecy. Amen. Now let's look at some new books that are coming from our presses which teach the very things that Babylon says we are teaching. But before I do that, I must read to you from Sister White. Selected Messages 1, 204. The enemy of souls has sought to bring in the supposition that a great reformation was to take place among Seventh-day Adventists, and that this reformation would consist in giving up the doctrines which stand as the pillars of our faith and engage in a process of reorganization. Were this reformation to take place, all right, what's going to happen? The principles of truth that God in his wisdom has given to the remnant church would be discarded. Our religion would be changed. The fundamental principles that have sustained the work for the last 50 years would be accounted as error. A new organization would be established. Books of a new order would be written. 
a system of intellectual philosophy would be introduced. The founders of this system would go into the cities and do a wonderful work. The Sabbath, of course, would be lightly regarded as also the God who created it. Nothing would be allowed to stand in the way of this movement. Now, can you imagine how I felt as I went through a number of books, about a dozen of them, of, from our presses, which indeed are teaching this new theology of a new order. When I look at this and compare them with the statements of the spirit of prophecy, I find they are an absolute contradiction. But keep in mind, the books of a new order would indicate that they would be of a different character than that which was originally believed. These are not opinions of the authors, as some would tell you today, for I find in the Ministry Magazine of December 1948 that books that carry the stamp of the denomination carry the denomination's approval. Let me read it to you. When the finished product carries the stamp of the standard publishing house, it bears denominational approval. It is then a denominational and not a private publication. It is a measure of authority. All right, let's look at one of these books. One of the first that came off after this called The Man the World Needs Most. It was written by the editor of the Signs of the Times back in the 50s. And uh, he was also the author of Bedtime Stories. Let me tell you now and read to you what he says. This book utterly repudiates the doctrine of a second coming Christ as we have taught for years and as every historic Adventist believes. It presents Jesus Christ as a cosmic Christ of a new movement, actually the devil himself. Let me read it to you. And if you have any question, get the book and read it for yourself. I am reading from pages 76 on through to 96. The signs that Christ predicted are taking place before our eyes. World conditions are precisely what he said they would be prior to his second coming. So there's no question what he's talking about now. He's talking about the second coming. And he says, what will happen when this new world leader appears? What will, be the various gov what will the various governments do about it? The what? What have the governments got to do with the coming of Christ? What are they going to do, accept it or not? How will the churches react? What do you mean? There aren't going to be any churches. What will be the effect on the stock market? There isn't going to be any stock market. More important, how will it affect individuals, you and me? Now he is about to do it again. Now notice what he says Christ is going to do when he comes. Healing the sick on a global scale. Did you ever read anything like that in the Bible? When I read the Bible, I find Christ, he's not even going to touch this earth. 
his coming invasion of the world would be a similar miraculous result. Hospitals and convalescent homes will be emptied. Their one-time occupants bursting with new life and vigor. Thousands upon thousands of insane in, metal ho in mental homes will rejoice at his touch because upon their poor, confused brains. The Lord's going to go around all the mental places and heal them all in the hospitals, eventually r raising the dead on a predocious scale will be another of the first actions of the coming of the world leader. When you come to think of it, this will be a novel way to start a new regime. Part of his master design is full employment for everyone. What? When Christ comes, we're all going to have a job? And the jobs he provides will never run out. Indeed, the establishment of his kingdom will be the success story of the ages. In the not far distant future, he will take over the government of our world and set up his own kingdom of righteousness and peace. All those who are accepted as citizens have to experience a radical change in their mind. Come, oh man, the world needs most. That's nothing but the rapture theory. In our book, with a stamp of the Pacific Press, unbelievable. If you believe this, you will believe Lucifer when he comes because that's exactly what he's going to attempt to do. To think that our press would print something like this. Let's look at another book from the Movement of Destiny. I'm reading here, this was printed in 1971 by the Review and Herald Publishing Association regarding the atonement. The atonement of Christ was not completed upon the cross, have been totally repudiated by Seventh-day Adventist denominational for some years. So Babylon was right when they said we have repudiated, but they said with horror. Again I read, and he's quoting here in this book from a Dr. English as to what we believe. Christ was perfect in his humanity, but he was nonetheless God, and his conception of his incarnation was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit so that he did not partake of the fallen sinful nature of men. Well, that's a lie. This is not what we have believed in the past, and it is not what any historic Adventist believes today. I quote again. Is this, Jesus Christ took the sinless nature of Adam before the fall, page 497. Now what does the spirit, spirit of prophecy say? I'm quoting from the Bible Commentary, volume 4, page 1147. Christ took upon himself fallen, suffering humanity's nature, degraded and defiled by sin absolutely contrary to what the book says. Again I read in Medical Ministry, page 181, 
Christ took upon his sinless nature our sinless, sinful nature, and that he might know how to succor those that are tempted. And so we are printing books today that are contrary to what the spirit of prophecy has said. Let's look at another book, So Much in Common. Perhaps you didn't know that this book was co-authored by the Seventh-day Adventist Church and the World Council of Churches. It was published in 1973. And it tells how much we have in common with other churches. In spite of the fact of what we read in Great Controversy 444, there has been for years in churches of the Protestant faith a strong and growing sentiment in favor of a union based upon common points of doctrine. To secure such a union, the discussions of subjects upon which all were not agreed, however important they may be, must necessarily be wavered. And so we find a church today with leadership that is trying to turn away from what we have believed and become like the churches around us. In Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, 346, all who neglect the Word of God to study convenience and policy that they may not be at variance with the world will be left to receive damnable heresy. In Volume 6 of the Testimonies, page 250, those who in their human wisdom try to conceal the peculiar characteristics that distinguish God's people from the world will lose their spiritual life and will no longer be upheld by his power. Reading from another book written by the pastor of the Azure Hills Church called Faith and Works. This book brings into the teachings of our church the original sin, which is a teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. On page 161 are these words, from the first reason why obedience has to come by faith only is because of the nature of sin and sinners. We are all sinners, whether we have ever done anything wrong or not. Who said so? It is not sinning that makes us sinners. It is getting born that makes us sinners. Strange theology. We are born sinners and we sin because we are sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. Now you think that's true. We are not sinners because we sin? Then what are we? Ready to go to heaven, aren't we? Making sinners out of saints. Don't forget that. The real issue in sin is not in doing bad things, but rather in living our lives, good or bad, apart from Christ. Since we are sinners by nature, we of ourselves are never going to be able to produce any obedience. 
we find here moving into an element that you find in all of the churches of Babylon. Yet the spirit of prophecy plainly says in volume 4, page 314, Satan is constantly seeking to deceive the followers of Christ with his fatal sophistry and their defective traits of character to render it impossible for them to overcome. Let none regard the defects as incurable. God will give faith and grace to overcome. Thank God we have such a promise. Now, if we're going to believe these half-truths that these books are teaching, you will become a sinner, though you may be a saint now. Again, I read in this book on page 168, if we are sinners and cannot produce genuine obedience, then all we can do regarding ourselves is to surrender ourselves, giving up on the idea that we can ever produce genuine obedience. We will never be just like Jesus. Jesus must do all of this, overcoming our sins, obeying God, and producing righteousness for us. In other words, just believe. God will do it all for you. That is the teaching of Babylon. Just believe in you will be saved. We will be sinners until Jesus comes. Now that's quite a statement. I read that things will be far different than that. It says the sinners cannot produce obedience. Second, obedience can come only by faith. All we can do is give up ever hoping to produce any real obedience. But what does God say? In Sons and Daughters of God, page 51, he who has the love of God in his heart has no enmity against the law of God, but renders willing obedience to all of his commandments. And this constitutes Christianity. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And it is the duty of every child of God to render obedience to his commandments. Again, I read in Great Controversy 487, no value is attached to a mere profession of faith in Christ. Only the love which is shown by works is counted as genuine. Did you get that? Only the love which is shown by works is counted as genuine. Then in a book called Marked, which was written by the editor of the Ministry magazine, published by the Review and Herald in 1981, it says, we find in here, that justification, sanctification, and salvation are obtained in sin. Now notice how it reads. Page 37. Salvation does not come as a result of our actions. What's that? If I pray, isn't that an action? If I plead with God to overcome, if I don't do everything within my God-given manhood or womanhood, 
Notice what it says. Salvation does not come as a result of our actions. We cannot earn it by our works. There's a half-truth here. Or deserve it. It comes as a free gift. The everlasting gospel is salvation by faith in Jesus Christ apart from any work or righteousness on our part. Now, what does the Bible teach us? It says faith without works is what? Is dead. This book is teaching a dead faith. What I'm doing here today is trying to show you that we have come to a place where just because we find books published by denominational printing houses, we cannot believe what's in them unless we compare them with the Word of God and with the spirit of prophecy. In Selected Messages 1, page 373, many at the present day say, believe, only believe and live. But faith without works, faith and works go together. Believing and doing are blended. The Lord requires no less of the soul now than he required of Adam in paradise before he fell. Perfect obedience, unblemished righteousness. Again, we read in a book called Mark, God declares us to be justified or righteous before our characters are changed. Now, you know, I think many of us have gotten to look at a television today until we never really think of what we are seeing or what we are hearing or what we are reading. Notice this, page 125. It even is discussing indulgences. Justification settles our present account, and it also applies to our future as a covering umbrella from the moment we accept Christ until we meet the Lord. In other words, if I just believe today, no matter what I do tomorrow, I am saved. And this is exactly what Babylon is teaching. Again, page 125, salvation, both justification and sanctification is all of God. Both are received and experienced by faith in Christ alone. No, faith without works is dead. In the Spirit of Prophecy, number 3, page 331, those who claim that their faith alone will save them are trusting in a rope of sand, for faith is strengthened and made perfect by works only. Nothing could be more clear, nothing more simple, it's written right there for us to see. On page 141, obedience from any other motive is really not obedience at all. It is the mark of the beast. I want to tell you, they are changing the great doctrines of God. I wish I had time to say more of that. Another book written by the pastor of the Azure Hills called The Return of Elijah in 1982. 
This book attacks the necessity of overcoming sin, making salvation all of faith. Page 99. When we talk about overcoming sin, we are not talking about becoming sinless. If a person were able to stop sinning today, he would still not be sinless. Page 95. So the answer to the question, can anyone live without sinning? Yes, Jesus did. Can we? The answer is no. We cannot live without sinning. Then if that's so, why should we try? Why should I pray? Why should I plead? If it's impossible, we should comprehend what is happening here. The leaders are moving us into a Babylonian doctrine. Let me read to you what God says, Review and Herald, Volume 4, 303. Since the fall of Adam, man in every age has excused themselves for sinning, charging God with their sins, saying that they could not keep his commandments. This is the insinuation Satan casts at God in heaven. But the plea, I cannot keep the commandments, never need be presented to God. For before him stands the Savior, the marks of the crucifixion upon his body, a living witness that the law can be kept. It is not that men cannot keep the law, but that they will not. But God's power plus man's power, I'm reading from this book again, another thing that is almost impossible to believe would be written in our book. God's power, and you know how great God's power is. God's power plus man's power equals no power. Then why should I turn at all and attempt to be like Christ or to even pray to overcome? Statements are absolutely amazing. In another book, Obedience by Faith, by the same pastor, obedience is always and only by faith, never of our own efforts. But what does God say? I'm reading The Faith I Live By, page 114. Christ came to the world to counteract Satan's falsehood, that God had made a, new, made a law that could not be kept. Taking humanity upon himself, he came to this earth and by a life of obedience showed that it is possible for man perfectly to obey the law. Those who accept Christ as their savior, becoming partakers of his divine nature, are enabled to follow his example, living in obedience to every precept of the law. Do you remember what I began and I read when I started? That we had repudiated, that we never believed that it was possible for man to take on divine nature and thus overcome sin? 
And this is exactly what we're teaching. Babylon is right when they look at the leadership today. In another book, I Know God, by the Pacific Press Publishing Association in 83, this book teaches the original sin and destroys the Bible definition of sin. First, what does God say? 1 John 3, 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Now listen, page 22 and 23 of this book. So we can come up with a twofold definition of sin. Sin, singular, and sins, plural. Sin, singular, in any life that is apart from God, and sins, plural, are the bad things that are done as a result of living apart from God. Nonsense, isn't it? It's not a clear definition. Man sins because he is sinful. He is not sinful because he sins. You don't have to sin to be sinful. All you have to do is to get yourself born. Again on page 26. In other words, salvation is based not upon what you do, but upon whom you know. Now that sounds good. But you know, I had an uncle. Far from a Christian, he was a scoundrel. I remember often him telling me how he had just got caught. And every time he got caught by the police, he had to go before the judge. But two days before he went to the judge, the judge, he always sent him a case of whiskey with his name on it. So that when he stood up before the judge and he was accused of this, the judge said dismissed. He said, you know, Lawrence, he said, it's whom you know that you can get away with things. What does this book teach? Salvation is based upon not what you do, but upon whom you know. Is that the kind of a Lord we have? Salvation is based upon a relationship instead of your behavior. So I can do anything I want as long as I know the Lord, I can get away with it. That's what it teaches. Here's another book. What I like about, and then he names the various denominations by the former speaker of It Is Written, page 51. We want to build bridges. Whether Christians or Jewish, we are all God's family together. How come? Because we are all beginning to take hold of Babylonian doctrines. Let me read it to you. Believers, even though sinful, can at the same time be counted righteous. Did you ever read anything in the spirit of prophecy like that? Did you ever read those kind of thoughts in the Bible? If you're a believer, even though you're sinful, oh, I smoke, I drink, I carouse, I go out with women, I do all of these things. At the same time, I can be counted righteous? On page 42, sometimes I find myself yielding on the spur of the moment 
Does this mean I am not saved? Not at all. The perfection of the Savior, you see, covers my shortcomings. Oh, it does? I've never read that. The imputed righteousness of Jesus is an umbrella that covers me with forgiveness as long as I live. If you believe these things in these books, you will be a sinner and not a saint. Amen. Here's another, Perfect in Christ, page 23, by the, Pacific, by the Review and Herald. The believer can never outgrow his personal sinfulness, nor transcend his lost condition, he also never reaches a state of perfect wholeness nor measure up to the standard of the flawless perfection that God requires in a sinless universe. Now that's in direct contradiction to the spirit of prophecy. Bible Commentary 6, page 1118. Everyone who by faith obeys God's commandments will reach the condition of sinlessness. Thank God for those promises. This book also teaches that we can never become perfect in this life. Listen, page 25. Those who are children of God now, during their present existence, will be like Jesus when he appears, not before. Now notice. As in the case with all previous generation of believers, God's remnant church will be made perfect only at the second coming. I don't read that in the spirit of prophecy. The remnant church will not reach sinless perfection of either being or conduct by the time probation ends. What is this teaching? It's teaching here that a church is going to be filled with sinners even after probation ends. But notice what I read in volume 5, 466. Every thought and word and deed of our lives we will meet again. What we make of ourselves in probationary time, we must remain to all eternity. Death brings dissolution to the body, but makes no change in the character. The coming of Christ does not change our characters. It only fixes them forever beyond all change. I want to tell you, I choose to believe the Bible in the spirit of prophecy. Adventists believe, printed by the ministerial department, the atonement of a reconciliation was completed on the cross. I wish I had time to go into that, but we will hasten on. I want to tell you who today is the greatest leader in this denomination of this conspiracy, and it is our president of the General Conference. I want to read to you from his latest book, which was published by the Pacific Press in 1994. This book, does it teach that the atonement was finished at the cross? Listen. 
Salvation comes by resting in the perfect finished work of Jesus accomplished on the cross. Nothing about the sanctuary. It was all done, and that's what all the other churches teach. Does this book teach anything regarding the investigative judgment? Notice what he says on page 28. Finding peace and assurance in the judgment is not primarily a matter of producing good deeds and eliminating wrong deeds from our lives through grit and determination. It is primarily a matter of entering and maintaining a relationship with Jesus. How then would we be living daily now during the time of the great judgment going on in heaven prior to Jesus' coming? We should be living in quiet assurance, not in fear, not in striving for a righteousness based on our behavior. Absolutely contrary to what we read and have been taught through the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. In other words, if I'm drinking, so what? If I'm carousing, breaking the seventh commandment, so what? Rest in peace. Don't strive to overcome. Again, I read from the word of God, Hebrews 10, 26, if we sin willfully after that we have received a knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. On page 45 are these words. We don't have to be anxious about the judgment closing before we have had a chance to confess all of our sins. What's that? I don't have to worry whether I've confessed all my sins or not. I, I'm still holding on to a few of them. I'm going to be saved anyway. This book makes a sinner out of a saint. Again, I read. Yes. That's, we still believe by our general conference president. Page 32 and 33. We don't earn a place in God's wonderful new world. There will be no one person there who deserves to be there. That's not what I read in the word of God. Revelations 22, 14. Blessed are they that what? Do his commandments that they may what? Have a right. Again, does this book teach that faith and grace alone will save us? Therefore, there is no need to keep the commandments? Page 75, through faith, we are saved by God's grace. Law-keeping can never save us. If we are concerned about being victorious over sin, we have our motives all wrong. So rest back and celebrate. Have a good time. Don't worry about anything you're doing. Page 40 and 41. Our assurance of salvation is based on God's grace, not on our behavior or our character developments. Each sin we may commit does not turn off salvation in our lives. This is why the gospel is unconditional good news. Brother, I want to tell you, when you think of these things, 
We shall never enter the gates of the city. I'm reading from Upward Look, page 99. We shall never enter the gates of the city until we perfect a Christ-like character. If we, with trust in God, strive for sanctification, we shall receive it. Does this leader of this great church believe in the spirit of prophecy? Now listen to this. Page 101. There are questions that can be raised about Ellen White and her work. Ellen White was a human being with faults. We know that. She sometimes misunderstood God's communications to her. She sometimes used uninspired sources to help her convey her message. We know that, and so did all the Bible writers. Her writings contain discrepancies. If it does, throw it out. If the Bible is such, throw it out. I want to tell you, we have come to a time when we need to hold fast to what we believe. No longer can the remnant church leaders believe today in those things that are coming from our presses unless we find that they are on the word of God and the spirit of prophecy. Believe me, when Sunday worship is enforced by law, if these leaders that we have today are still in office, they will find a way in which they will tell you, go ahead and keep Sunday. Never let us forget God's warning. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders. Insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Am I discouraged? No. Will I leave this church? Never. Jesus is coming soon, and when he comes, he is going to remove the tares out of this church, and he will have a pure remnant people. Amen. Heavenly Father, help us, God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with heavenly discernment, that we can dissect truth from error, that we can be on the right side, that we can be kept in thy power, that we may be faithful to the end, ready to see Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen.